Hey everybody, Brian McClanahan here. Are you looking for a great educational website? Then go to McClanahanAcademy.com. That's McClanahanAcademy.com. Enroll free of charge. Get a free class, 10 Myths of American History when you do enroll. Look, I've got awesome classes there. Classes on the Constitution, classes on the Civil War, classes on secession, classes on American history. A whole slew of great stuff just waiting for you. Go to McClanahanAcademy.com, enroll, and get a real history education. The left has a new public enemy number one. You'd think it was the Supreme Court, but in fact, it's Jefferson Davis in the Confederacy. I'll talk about that on this episode of The Brian McClanahan Show. It's time to think locally and act locally. Welcome to The Brian McClanahan Show. Welcome back to the Brian McClanahan Show. Glad to have you back on the program. Very glad to be here. Don't forget to follow me on Twitter, like my Facebook page, and subscribe to my YouTube page where you can watch this podcast. Find all those social media accounts on my webpage, brianmcclanahan.com. That's B-R-I-O-N, mcclanahan.com. Why are you there? Give me that email address. I'll give you a free ebook, Forgotten Founders, free audiobook of the same title read by yours truly. You can support the show by going to mcclanahanacademy.com. You've already heard about that. But you can also go to brianmcclanahan.com. Click on the support tab. You can throw a few pennies my way. If you're watching on YouTube, click on the super thanks button under the video. You can throw a few pennies my way that way. Or click on the shop tab at brianmcclanahan.com. Get my logo and all kinds of cool stuff. But as always, rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast. Give it a five-star review. Leave a text review wherever you can. Share it around on social media. And uh, comment on YouTube for the algorithm. Those are all great ways to support the show painlessly. And send me those show requests. I do want to see what you want to hear. All right, so we've had... Some really important Supreme Court decisions in the last week or so. The term ended at the end of June. They issued all of their final rulings. And, of course, we all waited with bated breath for the Supreme Court to tell us what we can and can't do. And we've got uh, Keith Olbermann running around saying we should just ignore Supreme Court rulings. (laughs) I love this stuff. I love how American politics never changes. And I love being proven right all the time. All these people really aren't committed to any of these things. They only love the Supreme Court when it does what they want to do. They don't love the Supreme Court when it doesn't do what they want to do. They only love the Constitution when it does what it wants them to do. And they don't love it when it's not doing what they want to do. So in reality, what you have is just what Calhoun predicted in the 1850s, right? When he posthumously published both of his works on the Constitution. But of course, he was writing those when he was still alive before that point. Uh, and that came out of his experiences in the 1830s and 40s. So you have essentially a situation in America today that was just like it was before the war. And why? Why do we have all these problems? This is the real question. Why do we keep having all of these issues? Supreme Court does this. You need to ignore the Supreme Court, the Constitution, etc. Because we have two different constitutions working at all times. We have the unwritten Constitution, which is the incorrect constitution, and we have the written constitution, which is the one we should be following. But of course, if we had that constitution in place, the United States government wouldn't do most of what it does. So this is the issue. This is what Calhoun was talking about. And of course, he was saying what we need to do is have some teeth in the 10th Amendment, because if we don't have any teeth in the 10th Amendment, we'll keep having all of these issues. Now, let's talk about the Supreme Court. I'm actually going to focus on a piece that Jonathan Turley wrote. Because after the Supreme Court issued its most recent decision on affirmative action, the left went ballistic. They went ballistic. Because 
in their mind, this is the only way that uh, we can have a diverse college environment. And that's really what it was about. But we're going to see this now, I think, extended out to other areas. There's affirmative action legal in, in any of these other areas. This was a very narrow ruling. It was focused primarily on colleges and universities and admission requirements. And it does still give colleges and universities wiggle room. That We've seen that with Harvard. They issued a statement saying that, of course, you can talk about how if race was a, a, a block or some type of obstacle in your time as a young person and how, how you overcame that to achieve success. So in other words, they can just write that in their essay. And of course, that would still be part of their college admissions. And other schools have already been doing this. So it hasn't eliminated race entirely from a decision concerning college enrollment or admission. But it has made it to where you can't just say, all right, we're going to do X, Y, and Z. We're going to have you know, so many of this group or that group, or we're going to use race as a deciding factor. Now, quotas have supposedly been illegal for years. In fact, in the Nixon administration, this was brought up. You know, we're going to have quotas when it comes to hiring or business practices or education. Those have been illegal for years. Now, we also know in many states they've tried to restrict affirmative action, make it uh, to where it's illegal in college admissions. But I think you're going to see more states go out and try to do this now and at least eliminate it as a part of a process for admissions. Um, a colleague of mine asked me if I was still skeptical about the uh, the sweeping decisions of the Supreme Court, or at least it was going to do what it said it was going to do. Now, I had said from the beginning that I'm not so certain this court's going to do much. I was a little surprised by the Dobbs decision. These were kind of softballs in some ways, and I said they're kind of trimming around the edges, because if you look at what's happening, they're still relying on a 14th Amendment interpretation of the Constitution. They're still relying on that second Constitution now, the, the Constitution that was uh, created in 1868, to, in, to uh, come up with these decisions. And until they get rid of that, you haven't really done anything substantial to change the way we're going to, we're going to interpret the Constitution, the way we're going to look at the Constitution. That faulty understanding of the 14th Amendment still is working in both directions. So we've got to get rid of that. So in my mind, they're still kind of trimming around the edges. He said they're not. They're really doing things fundamental. And I would say that this is, uh, of course, a a court that's been more active uh, in than recent decades. But we know that, as he also pointed out, that other courts have been much more active. This court is not even as active as the Rehnquist Court, or the Berger Court, or the Warren Court. I mean, those courts were much more active than this court. But, of course, they were doing things that the left liked. Now, at the top of the show, I talked about how the left has a new foil, a new enemy. And it's not the court, even though they are critical of the court. And they're going to, they're going to, run on this, right? This is going to be a big campaign issue moving into 2024. We've got to do something about the court. What we have a new foil, though, and it's actually Jefferson Davis and the Confederacy. You see, because everything that happens now is because of Jefferson Davis and the Confederacy. I don't care if you're on the left or the right. This is how stupid American politics are. We have our American Hitler, and it's Jefferson Davis. For a long time, it was John C. Calhoun. Now we're going to Jefferson Davis, the Confederacy. I mean, everything that happens, it doesn't matter again. If you're on the left or the right, it's because of Jefferson Davis. Now, how do I, how do I say that? Well, you look at Victor Davis Hanson, and you look at the American right, so to speak, particularly the West Coast Straussians, the Claremont people, 
everything bad is because of the South, Jefferson Davis, John C. Calhoun, the Confederacy, whatever it is. It's, that's the bad guys. And those were all Democrats. This is Mark Levin. Those were all Democrats, you see. All these guys, all this Jefferson Davis, all Democrats. Republicans were always the good guys. Then if you're on the left, then if you're on the left, well, the GOP is just a party of neo-Confederates, right? It's just Jefferson Davis. We're just resurrecting Jefferson Davis in the Confederacy. And I talked about that last week. There's two pieces. One saying the same thing. So when both agree on this, and both have come up with the position that the bad guys are the same thing, and the good guys, Abraham Lincoln, we're doomed. This is where I'm pointed out with Miles Smith and his piece that we need to keep Lincolnian nationalism around. This is what we have now. It's not doing anything but creating more and more division. Why? Because we're, we have a fundamental misunderstanding about what the United States was and is. If you have a Lincolnian nationalism, a Lincolnian America, you get what we have. You get exactly what we have today in American politics. And it's awful. A real American, a real understanding of the American tradition would include a heavy dose of federalism where the states would do this anyways. The Dobbs decision simply returned the issue to the states where it belonged. And we've seen states make up their own mind on these things now. And generally, the whole thing is quieted down. Why? Because in many states, everything stayed the same. And the states have then reflected the political culture of the people in those states. That's how things have worked. And you know what? I don't hear a whole lot of rumbling about this anymore. It's gone. The issue is gone. Now, I know on the left, they're going to try to say we need to have some type of legislation, uh, you know, codifying Roe v. Wade at a national level. And the same thing on the right. They, they, people have talked about that. But that was defeated. The Republicans could never get that through. The left might try, but I think it would also be knocked down there as well. I think that they wouldn't have enough. The, the, the House and the Senate are going to be too closely divided right now for this. But regardless, uh, that's gone. Now, if some of these, if we get Democrats in the executive office for the next 12 years and some of these Supreme Court justices retire or die and they start swinging the court back the other way, you'll see a challenge. Somebody will challenge uh, a state that uh, you know has restrictive abortion requirements and it'll go to the Supreme Court again. And maybe they'll overturn Dobbs. Maybe they'll say, no, no, no. There's a so this is the, the sad thing about all of this. The 14th Amendment is the issue. And until we can wrestle with that and come up with a way to get rid of that, we're going to be in this nonstop, uh, you know, this, this perpetual angst over the Supreme Court doing X, Y, and Z. It's been a nightmare. This, this is the, the nightmare that, that the Jeffersonians worried about with the Supreme Court. It's the nightmare that Calhoun worried about. So let me get into this Jonathan Turley piece. Because he says some things here that are rather interesting. Now, the title is Biden's Normal. The president's constitutional takes are becoming more unhinged from history. Well, I agree. I mean, they've never really been hinged in history at all. <laughs> they've never been grounded in history at all. None of it has. So he says, the decision of the Supreme Court to end the use of race in college admissions was not unexpected. Indeed, the rulings in cases involving Harvard and the University of North Carolina ended the decades of muddled five to four decisions. Yet President Joe Biden seemed to go into full attack mode and actually claimed that the court gutted the constitutional guarantee that all men and women are created equal. Declaring that this court was not normal, Biden further insisted that these admissions decisions of the Dobbs abortion decision 
Reverse the gains we fought a war over in 1860 secure. So again, see, people ask why the war is still important. Because we're still fighting the war. The, the war is ongoing. Because we're in a third reconstruction. And people are open about it, right? This is Eric Foner's point. But the second American Revolution. And you have the convenient foil. Everything bad is the Confederacy. This... I mean, look, you, Biden, Victor Davis Hanson could have said this stuff. Well, what we're doing now is fighting a war over uh, what we fought a war over in 1860. Mark Levin, what we're doing is fighting a war. We fought a war over this in 1860. This is how stupid all this stuff is. When you have the same common hero and your same foil, doesn't matter if you're on the left or the right, is the Confederacy. Well, what does that say? There's no difference between the two. Just in degrees. In an interview with MSNBC's Deadline, White House, President Biden accused the court of ignoring, quote, what the Constitution says. We hold these truths to be self-evident. <laughs> All men and women are created equal and died by the Creator. Now, that's funny. That's really funny. So that's what the Constitution says. We hold these truths to be self that All men and women... Now, see, first of all, that comes from the Declaration. But there's no women in the Declaration either. But what Biden has done here is conveniently... List the proposition nation myth? Well, who else does this? The West Coast Straussians. The Mark Levins. They all do it. The proposition nation myth is at the core of what's going on with America in terms of how we problematically view American government. You see, for one group, when we ended slavery and uh, we had Plessy v. Ferguson, we stopped there. Right? We're, we undid, undid Plessy v. Ferguson, excuse me. When we, when we have Brown v. Board of Education, undid Plessy v. Ferguson. We stopped there. That's it. The revolution's complete. We had the war. Uh, that ended slavery. And then we did our job with Brown v. Board of Education. Stop. Full stop. To the left, that's just part of it. That's That didn't do enough. So the West Coast Straussians are saying, well, we, we finished it. We completed this drive from the proposition nation. We, 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 we solved the problem. No, you didn't. The left to say, no, you didn't. You didn't go far enough. Well, yes, we did. No, we didn't. So see, this is the issue. We've got the, we've got the Girondins and the Sans-Culottes, right? I mean, we, we've gotten to that point in this American-French Revolution. The West Coast Straussians are uh, the Dantonists, right? They're just saying we've the revolution's gotten far enough. And then, then the, the Committee of Public Safety is saying, off with your head. And the conservatives have long been left behind. That would be the foil. That would be Jefferson Davis and John C. Calhoun and all that. They're, they're left behind, you see. And it wasn't about race with these people. That's a convenient thing. But in reality, what, what Calhoun and Davis and the South, and of course, there are many of these people in the North too. In fact, the real key to understanding the war is the Northern Democrats. All these conservatives in the United States in the 1860s were pointing out that what we're going to get is this nonsense if we keep this Lincolnian process going. That's what we're fighting against. We're fighting to keep the Federal Republic. We're fighting against centralization, extreme nationalization, all of that. That's what we're fighting against. So Turley says, this is actually a reference to the Declaration of Independence, but it was the substance of the point that was so baffling. The Constitution says, now, 
again, Biden confuses. How, how can we expect these idiots on Twitter and Facebook or wherever social media to really know? This is like Hitler built the Berlin Wall. The Constitution says this. I mean, this is how stupid these people really are. But how can we expect anyone to know when the President of the United States just bumbles on about this kind of stuff? And of course, what he did here was conveniently insert the Seneca Falls Declaration of Sentiments into the Declaration. So he's, he's confused the Constitution, the Declaration, and the Seneca Falls Convention. Three different historical documents all confused now. We've got this hybrid thing that's working now. And Biden's an idiot for all this stuff, but the left believes this stuff too. I, I guarantee you, if you polled a bunch of these leftist dopes walking around who vote and have children, that uh, they would... Uh, they would say that Biden actually cited the, the declaration. All these truths to be said, all men and women. There's nothing in there about that. But they would maybe think that. So Turley says, in barring the use of race in admissions, the court believed that it was protecting that very guarantee. And race what the court viewed as a glaring anomaly in, this, in its cases in the treatment of racial discrimination in education as opposed to employment. It was a capstone opinion of for Chief Justice John Roberts, who in 2017 declared the way to stop discrimination on the basis of race is to stop discrimination on the basis of race. In 2006, Roberts added, it is a sort of business that's divvying up us up by race. So this was, I mean, Turley's pointing out, this is a long time coming. Right? This was going to happen. They were going to go and, and overturn this. They were going to overturn the use of race in college admissions, at least overtly. You can do it covertly. You can do it in an essay, but overtly you can't do it anymore. The court was enforcing what it saw as the, as the self-evident guarantee referenced in the Declaration and later protected in the 14th Amendment. You see, this is where I told my colleague they're trimming around the edges. They haven't substan uh, subs uh, substantially excuse me, raked out what needs to be raked out and gutted in the interpretation. So it's still the 14th Amendment. It's still the Declaration. We're still going on the Proposition Nation. We're just basing all of these things on all these judges are West Coast Straussians. When you start from that position, you open the door to the left to undo the position. What needed to happen, and what Thomas points out in his, his, his concurring opinion in Dobbs, was that, wait a second here, if we're going to say this about Roe v. Wade, what about all these other things that uses the 14th Amendment? We can't do that. The court reaffirmed that all men and women are created equal and will be treated equally in both education and employment. So it reaffirms the proposition nation. I mean, you could say that that's... But this is what the left is saying the goal is too. They would say affirmative action is treating everyone equal because these people have disadvantages and that these people have privileges and so those privileges, this is not equality. It's all about this term equality. This is Harry Jaffa. This is the Harry Jaffa nightmare. Equality is conservative. It's not. They shouldn't have. They shouldn't have argued it in this direction. They should have said, "Well, this is not really a federal issue at all. It's not a Fourteenth Amendment issue." And you know what? The states can decide to do this however they would like. That would have been it. But no, they double down on the Fourteenth Amendment and the Proposition Nation myth nightmare. The president is not alone in such hyperbole. Figures like Whoopi Goldberg, who cares, actually asked whether the decision means that we are heading to no women in colleges soon. Who knows? Oh, yeah, that's where it's going, Whoopi, when women now make up, uh, you know, I think, 60% of people in college, college students. In some cases, it's higher. some places, it's more. Yeah, well, that's where we're heading, Whoopi. 
when men are getting out of schools at high rates, at college, they're going, they're going and doing something else. We actually do know, Turley says, an opinion rejecting the use of racial classification to determine who goes to college could not be read by anyone as endorsing the exclusion of other groups. Well, that's true. I mean, Turley's correct about this. This is about race, not about sex. But the fact is, uh, this is just complete a complete joke when someone like that says that. That's fear tactics. That's scaremongering. You know, it's 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 saying things that are never going to happen. In fact, because women now control so much of higher education, this isn't going to happen. The truly baffling statement was Biden's claim of the Civil War. Right. By leaving questions like abortion in the states, Biden claims that the court was reversing what was gained in that war. The criticism came in response to an opinion insisting that the place there's no place for racial discrimination in higher education. That would hardly seem an argument that would be embraced by the Confederacy. Oh, also, the North. <laughs> uh, because we know, even after the 14th Amendment was ratified, that Washington, D.C. had segregated public schools. So if it was aimed at ending segregation. That would have been news to the people that wrote the amendment, or at least ratified it, or put it into effect. In fact, Thad Stevens, as I've talked about on this show, Thad Stevens uh, saying that, well, I mean, this doesn't do anything that you think it's going to do. It's very narrow, the 14th Amendment. It simply, it simply codifies the Civil Rights Act of 1866, which was designed to ensure that former slaves had access to courts and could own property. And that was it. Very narrow interpret the very narrow agenda for the Fourteenth Amendment, but we've expanded that out way out, right? And that's because people like Eric Foner and others, Randy Barnett, have said the Fourteenth Amendment is expansive, and Barnett's on the right. So when you've got Eric Foner and Randy Barnett in agreement, now you're arguing over the how far you should take it is the issue. But of course, the Confederacy is the, you know, this is the foil, right? This is the foil. But it also would be an argument that would hardly be embraced by the United States in 1865 or 1866 or 1867 or 1868. You don't need to foil the Confederacy. Just, you want to say it's what Americans would have said in the 1860s overall. I mean, that would have been a better argument. President Biden has long taken liberties with our constitutional history. Many of us have repeatedly objected to claims that he has made in areas like the Second Amendment. One of the most respected lines, is repeated lines, I'm sorry, not respected, but repeated lines, is that the Second Amendment was passed with the understanding that certain guns would be banned and adding you can't, couldn't buy a cannon when in, fact the sec, when, in fact, the Second Amendment passed. That happens to be utterly false, which is true. You could buy cannons. In fact, you could do whatever you wanted. You could buy whatever kind of firearm you wanted up until really the middle of the 20th century. You go back to mail-order catalogs. You could buy howitzers. You could buy whatever you wanted. Uh, and, and even during the war, the 1860s, you had private citizens building naval vessels with cannons. Yet even after the Washington Post declares Biden understanding of the Second Amendment to be false, he has continued to make the same false assertion over and over again. Yeah, of course, because if you say a lie long enough and you say it loud enough, people were... If, People will believe it. Now Biden has moved on to the Civil War, and his revisionism is about as subtle as Sherman's scorched march to the sea. 
The Civil War did not end federalism or states' rights. It denied the right of states to secede and ultimately fulfilled the pledge to equality first made in the Declaration of Independence. So there we have the proposition nation. This is kind of, you know, Miles Smith saying it didn't end federalism or states' rights. This is that Lincoln didn't end these things. Well, it did. Ultimately, it did. If you can't leave, you don't really have federalism. If you can't use the mechanism of the Constitution to protect the state, you don't really have federalism anymore. And it was just a matter of time. I mean, you're saying that it didn't end federalism when the Congress actually booted states out of the Union, created military districts, said you can't do X, Y, and Z? Of course it ended federalism. Oh, but, whoa, whoa, wait, 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 wait. We had federalism after that. We did, until the court, using this expansive understanding of the 14th Amendment, which, by the way, came at the end of the war, that states really don't have any powers anymore, that we can overrule them, we have a federal negative of state laws, what do you think happened? And, of course, this proposition nation... That would have been news to the founding generation and how this would work. One can have good faith disagreements on whether the use of racial criteria is constitutional affirmative action or unconstitutional racial discrimination. However, Biden is belittling our prior struggles for equality with these sweeping and erroneous claims. In his interview, the president also insisted that one has to look at how it's ruled on a number of issues that are have been precedent for 50, 60 years sometimes, and that's what I meant by not normal. In reality, the court's decision on affirmative action in education has been muddled and conflicted for decades. In 1977, in Regents of the University of California v. Bakke, the court barred affirmative action in higher education. However, it allowed some consideration of race as part of holistic, holistic admissions process. In the decades that followed, the court remained sharply divided. By 2003, the court was ready to issue the very decision that it issued this week. However, in Grutter v. Bollinger, then-Justice Sandra Day O'Connor supplied the fifth vote to uphold the use of race by the University of Michigan. Yet O'Connor wrote the court expects that 25 years from now, the use of racial preferences will no longer be necessary to further the interest approved today. That was roughly 20 years ago. It's also ironic to hear the president bewailing the reversal of precedent since the greatest advance in racial equality was the reversal of Plessy v. Ferguson and the doctrine of separate but equal. That was the governing precedent from 1894 to 1954. Well, wait a second here. That's actually the governing precedent from the 1830s until 1954 because we know that New England had Jim Crow laws. They actually called it that in the 1830s. So that's the governing precedent for 120 years. It wasn't just that. I mean, that decision, Brown v. Board of Education, was not reversing a Supreme Court decision. It was reversing the entire course of American history to that point based on the justices' understanding of the Constitution. In fact, again, I've had law school friends of mine say that one of the things they have to do is, val is justify Brown v. Board of Education constitutionally when it's very hard to do. It was a political decision. We could say, you could argue it's the right political decision, or you could argue it's the wrong political decision, or you could argue it's the wrong constitutional decision, or the right constitutional decision, but regardless, it was a political decision. But if you'd announced the Supreme Court for reversing the precedent in Brown v. Board of Education, it was a decision to eliminate different treatment on the basis of race. Yeah, I mean, so it was a reversal, right? I mean, this is what Charlie's pointing out. We, we, don't, we don't care about reversals if we think it does the right thing. To say that we're reversing precedent, we got to create reverse precedent. It's because these people really are the left. They really are conservatives, and what they don't want is 
they're, they don't want their, what they're trying to conserve, which is an activist Supreme Court of the middle of the 20th century being undone because some of these decisions were not based really on the Constitution. They were political decisions. They don't want that undone. Now, no one's ever going to overturn Brown v. Board of Education. That will never happen. Whether it was a political decision or a legal decision, it now is settled. I don't think you're ever going to see anything attack that decision. Uh, no court's going to have the guts to do it, uh, and they wouldn't. I mean, it's just, that's what it is. Uh, and so that one's always going to be there, just like no one would ever un under overturn, you know, McCulloch v. Maryland or, uh, or uh, any, I mean, that, that's a big one. Um, so Marbury v. Madison is never going to be overturned. I mean, none of that's going to be overturned. You've got you've got some decisions that are just rock solid in place. Those are three big ones: Marbury v. Madison, McCulloch v. Maryland, and Brown v. Board of Education. No one's ever going to overturn those decisions. The court did indeed overturn long-standing cases, but these have long been areas characterized by closely and fiercely divided five to four and plurality decisions. The president also asserted that, quote, the vast majority of the American people don't agree with a lot of the decisions the court is making. The majority clearly opposed the Dobbs' ruling, but that is not the case on affirmative action. Polls have consistently shown, including this week, that the majority of the public does not support the use of race in college admissions. Indeed, even the most liberal states like California, voters have repeatedly rejected affirmative action in admissions. This is true. Next, had a constitutional amendment. Ward Connerly, uh, very famously, fought this issue. He's black in California. We should have a robust and passionate debate over these issues, yet a, pres a president should be seeking to facilitate that dialogue rather than distorting and weaponizing our shared history. It's a continuation of his prior declarations that members of Congress opposing his election reforms to block state laws or voting with Jefferson Davis and the Confederacy. Again, what's happening here? There's the foil. You do anything, whether you're on the left or the right, Jefferson Davis and the Confederacy are the bad guys, and we got to point that out. Despite the laws in states like Georgia being upheld as constitutional, Biden declared them a return to Jim Crow South based on distorted accounts of those laws. The claim was, again, historically and legally ridiculous, even if one opposed these state laws. I mean, that's true, but this is all the hyperbole you need, and this is what we deal with most times when it comes to American politics. We should not allow the president's constitutional and historical distortions to become, to use his description of the court, normal. We have fought hard to address the scourge of slavery and racism in our country. The struggle is continuing, but we cannot address those problems in the future by distorting our past. So, what Turley has done here is use the Lincolnian proposition nation to talk about you know, this, this revolution. The struggle is ongoing. It's still an ongoing revolution. The left would agree. You see, this is the issue. The left would agree with that. The left would say, well, yeah, Biden is pointing that out. The struggle is ongoing. You've retarded it. You've, you've blocked it. You've set it back. You've gone back to this. And Turley, no, 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 we haven't. You see, they're, they're arguing from the same position, which is where you're always, you don't really have two sides of the issue. You have one side to degree. To the left, affirmative action was continuing the promise of the Declaration, the 14th Amendment, the war. And it was a valid thing to do. To the right, no, we stopped at 1954. Notice again, we, Brown v. Board of Education, we stopped right there. That was it. We ended slavery. We ended segregation. Boom. That's it. Stop. Full stop. Everything else that comes after is just leftist revolutionary talk. 
But the left would say, well, that's you can't do that, right? I mean, this is this is again is the problem with Harry Jaffa's equality as conservative. You can't do that. The revolution has to be ongoing. So, another great example of how our understanding of the war, 19th century history, all of that is still being waged today in American politics. See you tomorrow on the Brian McClanahan Show. See you then.